you're tuned in to the Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition. A six-part series spotlighting a collective of inspirational brow raisers. We'll be opening up conversations to reveal perspectives on topics that many choose to conceal and embracing self-expression, acceptance and celebration, whatever that sounds like. I'm Laura Curriton. I'm a feminist activist, author and founder of Stop Taxing Periods, a campaign to abolish the tampon tax in the UK, which was successful in January 2021. I'm also founder of the social enterprise Sex Ed Matters, and I'm joined by Kenny Ethan-Jones. Hey everybody, I'm Kenny. I'm a writer, advocate and the first man to front a period campaign. As you may have guessed, today's episode is all about periods. We want to destigmatize menstrual health by reframing the conversation around periods. Let's go! First, we're going to throw it back to talk about our early experiences with our periods. So, Kenny, tell us about your first period. Oh, God. All right. So I was 15. I had pretty much no idea what periods were. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I attended an all-girls school at the time. And I remember being in class and like feeling this gushing feeling and being like, strange. I've never felt that before, but like not overthinking it. I'm just like, I'll just go to the bathroom at some point. And then I think it was like 20 minutes later, the same gushing feeling happened again. And honestly, a part of me was like, am I dying? Like, what's happening right now? Because it was such an unknown feeling. I just didn't know how to even describe it at the time. And so, funny enough, in the morning as well, like my stomach was hurting and all of those kind of things that happened. And so I went into the toilet and obviously, like, dropped my trousers. I'm like, okay, what's what's happening here? (laughs) Because I'll be honest, like, although I went to an all-girls school and society viewed me as as a girl, I never felt that way. So as far as I was concerned, I shouldn't be having a period. So when that happened, it was just like this moment of disassociation, essentially, because I just couldn't understand what was happening. And then my brain started to kind of like think, oh, well, all the girls kind of discuss periods around me, but I was the boy. And so nobody bothered to have that discussion with me. I feel like it was very dramatic. Like, oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. And so I panicked, went to a teacher, was like, I really thought I'm well. And they were like, oh, you were fine. I'm like, no, I'm unwell. I need to go home. And I went home and I explained it to my mom. And I was like, mom, I don't know what's happened. There's blood in my underwear, basically. And my mom's face dropped. And not because like, she knew this was going to happen, but to have that conversation with her son, when the messaging at that time was women and girls only have periods, mm-hmm. I feel like she knew how hard that conversation was going to be. And that it was going to be this small moment of heartbreak for me. Mm-hmm. And I could feel the energy of her that she was upset. And she just had to like break it down and be like, this is what happens. And I was so distressed and was like, what do you mean? No, mum, like, no, like, fix it, take it away. She was like, that's not how it works, Kenny. I was just like, wow, okay, well, what do I do with that then? But well, I want to hear about your period experience and then we can go into all of that <laughs> afterwards. Okay, well my, well, my first period experience actually probably was not me having a period, which sounds a bit weird, but basically like I'd gone to see a play in my town square and I'd sat down in basically like a big pile of red paint okay. that had dried. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, have I started my period and have I like bled all over the set, which is obviously completely like not possible. Not going to happen, yeah. <laughs> but I just naturally thought this is when it's happened and it's in front of the whole town and it's bled everywhere. That's a lot though. Yeah, you must I have been feeling it. I was it. like going to die. I was like, well, like embarrassing, I guess. Yeah, it was be, really, yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it's still embarrassing now, but when you, you know, first start your period, it's mm. even more embarrassing, even though it shouldn't be, but we're like taught to be embarrassed about it from the first moment we 
hear about periods. So yeah, I basically like went home immediately and then I was like, oh, I'm not even on my period. And then I got back and I was like, oh, it's pain. <laughs> so it was like a pre-panic yeah, to a period. Exactly. But then when I did start my period, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. I haven't bled in front of the whole town, it's fine. <laughs> so basically having that experience and it being a worser experience or fake yeah, experience actually made it better for when yeah. you had your first actual period. <laughs> yeah, it really did. That's so bizarre. <laughs> it's really weird, but yeah. And we always had one girl called Sarah in our school that would always have free period products for everyone to oh, like use. That. She That's was great, cute. so you didn't have to worry about it after then, really. Because the nice. worst had kind of already happened. <laughs> okay, so a question for you. What was the attitude towards periods when you were growing up? Um, I think there was like an air of mystery as well as obviously like trying to conceal it and not really talk about it as much as possible. I think because we learn about periods when we're like divided into girls and guys oh, yeah. and like only the girls get told about periods and yeah it's crazy <laughs> and I don't even know what the guys are talking about and it's just from that moment we're taught that this is like a women's issue mm -hmm. and this is for like women's ears only and somehow it's like not a societal thing and we're taught like are we being told off or yeah. so I think just from being introduced to periods in that way is problematic in so many ways. And it also means that a lot of people end up just not having period education at all. Yeah. So like, I remember in my old office, one of my colleagues who has kids himself, yeah. he uh, basically another colleague went to the bathroom and she put like a tampon up her sleeve, like a lot of people do. Yeah. And then as she was going to the bathroom, it fell out onto the floor and he looked at it and he pointed and he was like, oh, she dropped a sweet because you'd never seen a tampon. <laughs> <laughs> so it just means that loads of people grow up just not knowing what periods are. Um, oh my God. Which is bizarre. Yeah, I feel like my experience was the same. It's, it was just kind of seen as a secret. Yeah. We don't discuss that. It's really private. It just always kind of felt like there was no education around it because even when I started having my first period and realised I'm actually going to have to have conversations with people about this because I don't know how to take care of my body and my health, like no one seemed to know what was going on. I just felt like everyone was freestyling and everyone was trying to do their best to take care of themselves. But there wasn't education around it. Even so, I went to all girls Catholic school. And oh, so they're just very yeah. much like, this doesn't like suppress this issue. Let's never talk about it. And it's like, this is just a natural biological function. Like if you put it as basic as this is taking care of your health, like we need to understand how this works. And so when I got to a point of more acceptance with having periods and stuff, was like, this is something that I need to know. Like, how do I not know this? Why is this not taught? Yeah. Let's talk about this. Come on, it's let's bizarre. be real. And we, don't, we don't even talk about like products, what the kind of best products for yeah. you. I figured out what a menstrual cup is when I was like 21. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, that's what I was worried about 24. Yeah, so, <laughs> and like period pants. I only discovered them like three years ago. Yeah. And they would make my life so much better when I was younger. Yeah, all right, let's move on to this. Okay, so early memories of periods in marketing slash advertising. Oh my gosh, so bad. And I remember when I was younger, I would go to the sanitary products aisle. <laughs> Thank God that's changing. But I would go to the aisle and there would be discretion tins that you could buy mm. that would be almost have a label saying like not tampons or something. Ooh. And it would be like you could buy those tins along with your period products so that no one would have to know what's inside them. It's absolutely bizarre. And then I remember like buying period products in a corner store mm -hmm. and then the cashier person saying, do you want it in like a like black bag so that no one will see what's yeah. inside? It was, That's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. What about you? Oh my God. Do you know what? I'll be honest. I didn't really pay attention to it. Okay. Because I felt like, well, I'm not going to have a period. So yeah. I don't need to know about this. But when I started having periods and realized, right, I'm going to have to buy these products. Mm -hmm. It was so discomforting because I realized that there was, okay, so this is what happened. So I went to a shop and, you know, I had no idea what I was buying, first of all, because I didn't know what products was going to be more suitable for me. I didn't understand terms like flow. So I had no idea. So I was just standing there 
and I'm quite visibly trans at this point as well. So in the back of my head, I'm like, buying this product is outing me in a way. Mm. And so I felt so much discomfort simply just by standing there to the point where I'm making up lies in my head. Like I'm buying this for my girlfriend. This is for my sister, this is for my niece. Because I'm trying to like think when I go to the cashier's desk to pay, how am I going to explain that I'm buying these products? Like that's how deep it was in my brain. And so I'm standing there and I remember like this was years ago, but everything was quite pretty and pink and everything seemed to be like this dirty secret. And I just thought, I don't understand any of these products. I don't even have the language to understand these products. And then as I've gotten a bit older, especially within what I'd say like the last three or five years, I would say that there's been a lot more inclusivity yeah. around advertising and a lot more products as well. And everything isn't so pretty and pink as, as it once used to be. And also I feel like more variations of different flow types as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's been quite incredible. Amazing. As we've gotten older to see, even in terms of like trans inclusion, when I think about campaigns and things like that, that's what I need growing up. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah, the connection between like periods and femininity is one that I don't think I quite mm. understood like the impact that that would have. All right, it's time to check in with all of you to see what you've been saying on social media. Think of this as the part of the radio show where listeners call in. So, Kenny, the first question is, is my period making me depressed? I get such low moods for like two weeks around my period. Is this normal? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it's dependent on the person as well. It's very individual in how you feel towards your period. I think logically it makes sense because there's such a fluctuation in your hormones that you're likely your immune to change. For me, I've had such a negative experience with my period in the past, so it affects how I feel in my day to day, I guess. What about you? That makes sense. For me, I don't really feel depressed, but I feel like I just have the urge to cry for like the entire period. I guess that goes into like the hormones changing. Exactly. Are you like that outside of your period? No. So you, you, could, you know totally it's different. <laughs> yeah. So I take vitamin B12, just like reduce my need to cry constantly <laughs> when I'm on my period. So that's really helped me. But yeah, if you're like have any concerns about anything and you just want to like see if what you're dealing with is like normal, I would suggest like going to see a GP. I think a lot of issues with periods and period health in general goes undiagnosed because people are just like conscious and embarrassed to talk about. Yeah. their problems so the more you talk about it the more it will get diagnosed the more your issues will be solved yeah sometimes just going to your gp and having that conversation and being like is everything normal for me is what needs to happen like even if it's just for yourself and like that reassurance of just going ah oh, like that breath of fresh air yeah. knowing that you're okay kind of thing because it's the anxiety isn't it of not yeah, knowing honestly, and worrying me, and googling it and being like if you go to google <laughs> so, google will tell you it's a number of different things <laughs> yeah. that it probably isn't yeah and i also like to think of mood swings or anything like that in the grand scheme of like your general period cycle which is happening like all the time so rather than thinking oh it's just the worst week it's actually just a part of yeah that's a conversation that hasn't really happened in terms of like seeing things as a full cycle because we've we've always seen periods as this when we're bleeding that's it and that's not true i was reading this thing about how long a period cycle is Mm. and in reality it's between 22 and 42 days but we've heard that it's like 35 because Originally, medical research into it didn't consult the people that were having periods. Of course not. <laughs> so they were just like, oh yeah. I it was think based it's on cis men. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, of course it is. So yeah, the same thing with tampon tax being produced by them as well. <laughs> so but yeah, every 20 to 42 days, I think. Yeah. There's many different phases within a cycle. Yes. I don't necessarily use tracking apps, but I use journaling cool. and just keeping an eye on where I feel in certain places um, and certain days and times. And also, for instance, when I was having a, like a more active period and I was bleeding all the time, not bleeding all the time, but bleeding as I should, yeah. 
I used to journal down like two days before cramps would start or I'm really moody on these days. And so I'd purposely try to change like my schedule of my life around it, if possible. Obviously, some things are inevitable. You have to go to work and such and things like that. But cancelling social plans or making sure that I have medicine around and make sure that I have my period care products yeah. on the go. Do you know what I mean? Like things like that just makes it such a smoother process because otherwise yeah. you've got the hassle of the period, yeah. the bleeding itself, and you've got the hassle of how you feel the anxiety because you haven't got everything together yet to make it happen. I don't know if that happens to you. Yeah, definitely. And you yeah. feel a bit more in control when you feel like you can have the products that you need and like- For like strong adulting. Yeah, like, I, exactly. I got my ish together. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> okay, so is period sex actually a thing? Is it safe? What's your thoughts on this? <laughs> well, so my sister and I, we do consent workshops in schools and we do lots of like sex ed stuff with kids in schools and we get questions around period sex a lot. And yeah, the first thing to say is like, it's totally fine. There's nothing unhygienic about it. I think like the taboo around periods makes people feel a bit anxious or... Especially combined with sex, which is also yeah. a taboo like yeah. subject. It's just like two taboos. Double whammy. Yeah. I was thinking about my experience with sex and periods. I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. I have definitely had sex on my period. I have definitely had sex with partners on their period. And honestly, I don't know why, but there's just something, maybe it's just me, but I just feel like more in tune with the person as well. I okay. don't know if that's a weird thing to say. Because you're like breaking barriers. Yeah, like, and I think it. as well, like, you know, there's such a taboo around it and the fact that my partner feels comfortable enough to, yeah. do you know what I mean? To be on her period and to have sex. I mean, it's, it's just a nice thing and I'm here for it. And yeah, do you know what, it's messy. It's absolutely messy. <laughs> like, get the towels out. In the shower. Don't, yeah, do you know what I mean? Don't be afraid of blood. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't see what the problem is. And also, like, when we think about hormones, mm -hmm. some people tend to be more horny during their yeah. period. Then and so actually it's leading to more pleasure. Yeah. Who doesn't want more pleasure? Totally go for it. The only thing to caveat, I reckon, is the when you're on your period, your immunity is reduced, mm. which means you're like more susceptible to STIs or like HIV, for example, especially with blood. And so, yeah, that's just something to, to keep in mind, yeah. especially because the kids have asked us if they can or cannot get pregnant when they're on their period. Yeah. And you absolutely can. So you know, it's funny because I read online that basically said that sperm lives for seven days and so they might just still be, <laughs> be swimming up in there it's a great fact yeah. i feel like everyone should know that <laughs> yeah so no it's, it's interesting you can also i've recently found out get menstrual cups that mm. are designed for having sex with yeah no way yeah i've never tried them i've wanted to but That's like so yeah cool. so it doesn't Look have to be like messy. with all this period <laughs> yeah, stuff innovation what? amazing we're so, in the future i know <laughs> so the next question is, does it matter if my period is infrequent? Well, I don't, I don't believe periods are meant to be infrequent, but you know, there's lots of things that can happen that could make your period infrequent, like being stressed, yeah. being pregnant. Your diet. Your diet, yeah. Oh my God, I didn't even think Changing about that. Diets. So yeah, there's, there's many reasons, but I think, yeah, if it's, if it's too infrequent and you've missed a few periods, then it's a concern. And I would definitely go to my GP and just ask those questions and see, see what they have to say. But I, I think it's always good to kind of like pay attention to your environment. We discussed earlier, like tracking and knowing how your period normally flows is very important. And then, yeah, just, yeah, going back to your GP and having that conversation and just making sure that everything's all clear. Yeah, even if it's just to make yourself feel better. Okay, so perfect question for you. Can I donate period products? Who do they go to? So yes, you can absolutely donate period products. You could do it through organizations like the Red Box Projects, which is started and founded by Anna Mills, who's amazing. Or you can just donate them to your local food banks and your local homeless shelters. Hardly anybody donates those products to food banks or homeless shelters because it's just something we don't think about that much. Or maybe yeah. you feel embarrassed to be seen to like put them in there. 
but most like supermarkets have buckets for uh, like big baskets for homeless shelters and, and that kind of thing in food banks so yeah absolutely and then they'll go towards anyone who needs them you can even donate them to like your local school if they need extra products although they should also be signed up to the government's free period scheme which will give mm. all schools free period products mm. so they should be signed up to that <laughs> but yeah so there's loads of places to donate what about you and yeah the, the one that comes to mind for me is bloody good period mm -hmm. they're amazing the charity i'm an ambassador for them Amazing, yeah. <laughs> Gabby's amazing. Uh, yeah, Gabby. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she's so good. Love Gabby. She's the founder, CEO. <laughs> so they used to accept donations of like products, but now they've moved to a more economical system that makes sense, where they take money donations and Smart. they use that money and it goes directly to the people who need them. And they cut out the kind of middle things that they need to do, like logistical. Yeah, logistical yeah. needs. So it's it's more of an effective way to donate because the people on the other side who needs the products get more from it. So yeah, bloody good period is definitely my shout. Amazing charity. Could not highly recommend them anymore. Like they're just. To be an indoor. Speaking of Gabby and Bloody Good Period, yeah. definitely sign her petition yeah. to get free period products in all public spaces. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh Scotland's done it, so the rest of the UK and should also listen, have it. Listen, Scotland <laughs> set the Yeah. They set the goals. Like they amazing. showed us what's achievable. This one's a really interesting one. So I find my period unaffordable. What should I do? So there are some things you can do to cut down costs, like having really cheap paracetamol rather than maybe the period paracetamol. You can get them up to like 16p, yeah. whereas the period ones are like a fiver, which is a bit frustrating. You could, I didn't even know there was that difference in price. Yeah, it's wow. huge. And it's just basically pink packaging. Like there's not that much difference between them in terms of like actual mm. ingredients. Mm. You could also invest in the short term for like long term solutions, like right. menstrual cups or period pants yeah. that you can wash again and again and again. That's what came to mind for me, using more reusable products, sorry. Mm. Because I think about, yeah, period underwear. And I know people, lots yeah. of my friends have made the switch. And it's also about like the security of knowing that you always yeah. have products available as well. I think just alleviates a lot of the stress that might come with having a period, which I think is just as important. It gives you so much freedom. Like I've been using a moon cup for seven years now. Yeah. And it's like the same moon cup, which mm. I bought for 20 quid, like seven years ago. And it just gives you so much freedom because you just have one cup. You don't have to worry about like a whole stock of products if you're going on holiday or something. Mm and you just don't have to worry about it. It's Do you know what I think we should talk about here? Because I think a lot of people, why they don't use reusable products is they don't like the contact with blood. Yeah. I think that's a thing. Or they're not educated enough to use a moon cup, because let's be honest, that's a skill. <laughs> yeah, right? it takes a bit of getting it takes, used to. Exactly, yeah, it but does. tampon is the same kind of thing. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, you need to educate yourself on how to use those kind of things. But once yeah. you do, I think most people that I know who have started with those products, find them uncomfortable in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And once they're used to them, they're like, oh my God, this is so much yeah. easier. I love it. It works better for me yeah. as a product. And it's like awkwardness at the beginning because you're just thinking, it's the same as you said with using mm. tampons. You worry like, have I done it wrong? Am I going to leak? Mm. Is this all right? Yeah, leaking is a really big thing, isn't it? Yeah, but mm. sometimes I like combine. So if I'm going on like a long journey, I'll have like a makeup in and a period pant. And then I just have to worry about nothing. Look at you, strong right. adult in. <laughs> the most prepared. Now let's head into our next segment, Conceal and Reveal. Here we want to talk about the things which we found hard to express or show in the past, and also some topics we'd love to shed light on today. What challenges have you faced campaigning to end period stigma slash tampon tags? 
I think the biggest challenge, at least at the beginning, was just like getting people to talk about it in terms of like politicians didn't want to know. I mean, it wasn't until we got like 100,000 signatures that they started to take note. So, for example, my local MP, won't name him, but cis man, just to give perspective, I'd emailed him about it when I first started the petition and he replied three months later, literally like a letter through the door mm. saying he basically doesn't care and it's not his issue and he like can't help basically and now he talks about it in parliament it's in Hansard and he says how he's like always supported the petition and mm -hmm. it's like no that's not the case I think it wasn't until we got uh, one politician to respond to us Paula Sheriff MP who was absolutely amazing that she took it to parliament and she wrote an EDM about it she like got What's it in parliament EDM? Used. so an EDM is an early devotion and it's basically something that any parliamentarian can do and that it's basically just for them to say this is important to me, it should be important to the rest of the House or all other parliamentarians and MPs, and I want to declare that. It's kind of like a fast track. Yeah, and it's kind of like a petition just amongst parliamentarians, because That's once cool. they've done that, other parliamentarians can sign it. And okay. so it just shows that like they also accept this as an important issue. So most early donations get about between 10 and 20 signatures if they're really good. Versus the 100,000 that you need to get it I, to, to go. get it in front of them, I know. Wow. It's crazy. but. Paula Sheriff's EDM got between 80 and 90. I can't remember exactly how many now. So hers was really helpful to our petition because it gathered really great parliamentary support for the campaign. Mm. And then she started talking about it in debates in the chamber. And then like other parliamentarians started to do it because Love it's like good comms for them. It's so good. <laughs> it just goes to show you that just keep emailing politicians. You just need one to mm. get in there and to make they it open the thing. door for you. And exactly. But more importantly, why did you want to do this? So this whole thing, I think you said it earlier as well, mm. like just doing it accidentally, I think it all sort of snowballed. So I was at university when I started the petition to end tampon tax in 2014, and I was a massive fan of the No More Page 3 campaign mm. and the campaign to get Jane Austen on our bankmates, or to keep her on our bankmates. Mm. I just thought, oh, a petition would be really fun. I could do some fun protests and stuff like that. <laughs> but I never thought it would be successful. I mean, it's about menstruation and taxation, not exactly the coolest mm. of topics. So yeah, did not expect to still be talking about it seven years later, but glad that it did snowball, yeah. but very unexpected, I think. And you said it took, God, you said, what, seven years? Yeah, seven years of hard <sighs> campaigning. I saw an article recently that was like, quick campaigns that won and tampon tax is one of them. And I'm like, my campaign took seven years, <laughs> but people have been campaigning for generations before me as well. Yeah. So it was definitely not quick. But this is so impressive. This wasn't something that you, you knew mm -hmm. and you just, you said, I want this change and you went for it. And now seven years later. Yeah, it's happened. It's crazy. And it's tricky campaigning with like a full-time job as well. Mm. I know like other campaigners have been messaging me being like, how do you juggle the two? Especially if your job means that you, they're not very supportive of you doing like radio or whatever, yeah. because they don't want you to be public facing and say something that will make them look bad. So yeah, it is really, really difficult to do. But I think my advice would just be to do the types of campaigning. It just feels fun to you, basically. Yeah. And I think we show really well yeah. that campaigning can look like whatever you want it to look like. It could be social media, it could be petitions, it could be working parliamentarians, it could be a whole load of different things. And just do what you feel is authentically yeah, tap fun. Yeah, so what works for you. Yeah. But like, I could never do what you do. I could never do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, no, I think it's, like you said, it's always key to kind of like tap into what works best for you because 
I would be terrible doing your job and you'd probably be terrible I'd doing I'd be so that. bad doing your job. <laughs> but if you wanted to do like other kind of campaigning, mm. hit me up, I'll okay. help you out. You could target FTSE 100 companies and you could use your social media presence to help pressure companies into like taking it seriously at least or like meeting with you to discuss mm. what yeah they could do. You could get them to sign a pledge that they'll do it. Yeah. And then like the more that do it, the more that will join because obviously they'll be pressured into sort of going with the flow and joining that sort of like more now normal thing to do, hopefully. Yeah. So so, yeah, let me know. If I, I feel help. like we're given the exclusive. <laughs> Are you? I think they might be the first time to hear about it. Like this might this might be a thing, you know? We we'll wait and see. But no, yeah, no, definitely inspire me. I must say. So, I would you. also say a good thing if you feel like you want to tackle something and it's really overwhelming because it's like such a huge thing to tackle. Mm. Definitely break it down into smaller steps. Who's your decision maker? How can you reach them? Mm. What sort of resources do you have access to? How can other people help you as well? Don't ever feel like you're alone in these sort of campaigns. And once you break it down, you'll find that it's really manageable and that you, like, you can do it. Um, you need to go for coffee. <laughs> you need to go for That's coffee. That's great. Yeah? Cool. <laughs> So I'm really excited to ask you this question, and that is, how can we be more inclusive of the range of people with periods? Oh, it's such a big question when you <laughs> think about so it. There's so much to say, I'm sure. Yeah, no, there is. The first thing that comes to mind is obviously inclusive language. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing, that benchmark that I feel like everyone should be doing at this point, because it's an actual fact that not just women experience periods. Let's just be honest. And so that's kind of the first thing that I see it as. The second thing is around imagery, marketing. Like lots of companies, for instance, will use gender inclusive language, but will never have a trans or non-binary model model one of their products. Also, this is one of the things that I've been thinking about recently, right? So for instance, with the surge of period underwear becoming more of a thing, right? Because they're more sustainable and they're just a better product. What I found is that lots of companies took a product that was made for women and remarketed it and repurposed it as a product for trans men and non-binary people. But listen, hear me out. Period underwear are built and based on women's bodies, right? Yeah. So when I think about boy shorts, for instance, that's the period underwear that is like marketed towards trans men and non-binary people. But the one thing that makes me feel more dysphoric than anything else is my hips. But when you wear boy shorts, for instance, they're shaped to emphasize hips. Mm. And so you can kind of make us feel more dysphoric because you actually haven't created a product for us. You've just repurposed it. I would love to see more companies actually make products specifically for trans men and non-binary people. I guess like consulting as well with their target audience so that they understand what yeah. is needed. What do you think people can do who are like allies who want to support the movement? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's hard. I guess the same in a way, like look yeah. out for brands that are inclusive in meaningful ways. Yeah. And who's innovating in the sector in this more inclusive way and listening, being a part of the conversation that they want to be a part of. But sometimes it can be really tricky. Like I was mm. saying to you earlier, when I had this radio interview, mm. was using inclusive language and then got all this backlash from people who thought I was an idiot for thinking that it's not just women who have periods, even though that's a fact. For them, it's a fact that that's, it's yeah. like the opposite is a fact. Well, that's the thing. That's when you speak to someone who's trans. Yeah. And you say, is my opinion right in this situation? Because, yeah, that's the best way to do it. Like you need to speak to the people who it's going to affect. Yeah. How so. do you think about dealing with backlash and that kind of thing, especially mm. when backlash against this sort of thing maybe it's a group of people that don't want to listen to trans people and <laughs> like <laughs> do you engage do you not engage that's a good question sometimes i engage so it's very dependent it's dependent on how that person's addressed it my social media is full of that and so sometimes it's having a conversation with someone understanding where their beliefs come from and saying to them do you actually believe this or for instance let's talk about periods and bodies and they say well i believe you're a woman because you have a womb 
I said, okay, cool. Well, that's kind of sexist, isn't it, first of all? Yeah. So let's start there. Loads of people could not have wombs for like multiple reasons. Right, exactly. Right? So then it comes down to, so do you believe that women who don't have a womb are, are, not, women. are not women? Yeah. And so it's that counteracting of like conversation and going, check yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then being like, well, actually, the reason that we classify bodies and be in a certain way is just because it's been a norm. But now we're, we're stepping into a space where we, we're acknowledging that the bodies are not as black and white as we've been taught to believe. And so let's just talk about that. And sometimes people leave and they go, oh my God, completely right, thank you so much. And sometimes people go, nope, absolutely not. And then I just disengage. Because at that yeah. point, you can't teach anything else. Like they've made their decision. That's just not my people. It's really good sometimes to engage as well because, I mean, we all have our echo chambers and we speak mm. to people who feel the same as us. So you might be the first person that a transphobic person had ever spoken to mm. about this issue and you may be the one to like give them that light bulb moment. Now we're going to dive a little deeper with some DMC. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, that's short for Deep Meaningful Chat. Okay, so we spoke about your campaign and everything. And one of the things that I feel like you're an expert on is like period poverty and campaigning is different in different places. And I just want to hear more about that. So Period Poverty Festival, there's so many activists that are working in the space, like Amica George, for example. But it's basically a combination of two things. So the first thing is poverty. So people who can't afford period products are obviously impacted by period poverty. But there's a much wider group of people and that is just anyone impacted really by period stigma. So there was a survey done by Plan UK that found that 75% of people who have periods, they haven't bought period products when they need them because they're embarrassed to be seen in the period aisle in the supermarkets. And That's a high percentage. It's so high. Mm. And I think I have done that previously that like when person. I was at school. Yeah. Mm. So those people will be impacted by period poverty because it essentially just means being without the products that you need when you need them. I never thought about like that in that concept, in that way, wow. So, yeah, some people are like, oh, period poverty doesn't really impact that many people. Mm. A, yes, it does. It impacts 10% of schoolgirls, for example, miss school every single month because they don't have access to period products that they need. And that number increases to 50% when you're talking about Ireland, which is really shocking. Mm. So that is a lot of people, but there's even more. If that wasn't enough, there's even yeah. more people than that that are impacted by period poverty. So yeah, there's tons of campaigns that you can go and sign and support to try and end period poverty. The first one is to get lots of schools to sign up to the government's free period product scheme, which will basically give any schools the amount of products that they need. And not enough schools are signed up for that yet. So hopefully that number will increase. Just basically meaning that, yeah, periods won't impact anyone's education or schooling. So the international aspect of the Tampa Tax campaign, I think is really interesting because you've just got so many countries around the world that's trying to campaign to end tampon tax. So we've got sister petitions run by people in their separate countries in every single continent across the world. You've got loads across the United States, all across India, Canada, Tanzania, loads across Europe as well. And the great thing is like we're all so collaborative and we learn from each other's mistakes as well as successes. And when one country succeeds, it makes it so much easier for other countries to succeed too. All the other petitions can be like, that country's done it, so why can't we? So, so is that the hope yeah. for Scotland now yeah. to hear? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now Scotland's got free period products for everyone, we definitely should. But I think that also runs into campaigning failures. Like so many of us have had so many really significant failures along the way. Did you? Um, yeah, loads. My first major failure was when it was the 
I don't want to say, I don't want to bring up Brexit, but it was during Brexit. <laughs> Nigel Farage, basically there was a picture taken, I think it was by like the Telegraph or something, inside Nigel Farage's car, and he had a notebook that said campaigns to back. And number one was Temple Tax Campaign, as if he's ever cared about, you know, mm. any of these sort of feminist issues. And that was just so terrible because basically the Brexit Leave campaign used the Temple Tax petition as like a political football. And they said, this shows how archaic the European Parliament mm. is. And it was so annoying because I'd tried really hard to make the Temple Tax campaign as bipartisan as possible so anyone could support it. But that turned into our biggest success because it made David Cameron have to talk about it, which was in a way good. So even at like the roughest moments, (laughs) when you're questioning like, have I made something that just supports UKIP basically? (laughs) Actually, that could turn out to be good. So yeah, keep going basically. I think quite often we see campaigners and campaigns in a really good light, talking about the successes and we don't see the The, ugly uh, stuff. The hustle, the grind for it. Yeah, when that is so important and such a huge part of campaigning. It's incredible. So you spoke about your experience in school. Mm. So I wanted to ask, how has this changed over time? And yeah, how have you dealt with that emotionally as well as anything else? Okay, so 15 year old, first period, regular period, as I call them, my pre-T periods. So I had a regular period for about two years and I started hormone blockers, uh, which completely stopped my periods. That was this kind of, I don't know, first time I felt like I could breathe because I was so stressed and disassociated and it was making my gender dysphoria worse. Like I wasn't looking in mirrors at this time and all of that was just becoming heightened from having periods. So I was so happy when the periods stopped. I was like, yes, yes. So they stopped. I started testosterone a year later. There's kind of like this period when you start testosterone where you might have slight bleeding like spotting which is very normal. Mm-hmm. They told me that would happen and it did. And I was like, okay, this isn't the nicest thing. It's not necessarily what, what I want to experience, but I was always thinking about the end goal. And the end goal was to have a beard, masculine chest, deep voice, ticked all the boxes, great time. <laughs> but yeah, so that started happening, period stopped. And then all of a sudden, about five years on testosterone, I had a full blown period. Same period as I had pre-testosterone. And I don't know, like it's weird because in that moment, I felt so taken back to the person I was mm. when I first had my first period that many, many moons ago. And I felt lost. I felt scared. It's so hard to describe something that basically makes you feel like your life has fallen apart. Mm. That's what it feels like. You feel like you're being betrayed by your body as well because I'm taking testosterone. This should stop. I know it hasn't stopped. And I think my friends had never seen me like that because they didn't realize kind of the effect that, that having a period would have. But I guess it's kind of like being triggered. It takes you back to that moment. That's how I felt. And so obviously I was really concerned and I went to my doctor and asked what's happening. And the thing is, because trans bodies are just so under-researched and understudied, they didn't really understand what was happening. And all they could do is check my blood to make sure that my testosterone levels were where they were supposed to be. And it was. And so they were just like, well, hopefully it doesn't happen again. I was like, but what? That's not what you want, is it? it? But what if it does? Yeah, yeah, like what? why has it happened? Yeah. You know, and there was no explanation and I think you get more frustrated in the fact that there was no explanation. And I had to give myself closure on that and just kind of go, trans bodies are understudied and under-researched. How can I expect these people to know? Trans people are 1% of the population. And I'm just gonna have to accept that this is the case and move forward. And so I tried to, and it started happening again and again and again, but not as bad, like more infrequent. And now I have what I'd like to call an internal cycle. So I have all of the kind of emotions and the feelings of periods and like the cramps, but I have no physical bleeding. And so I don't know, it's not something that's, again, studied or researched, but 
I feel like your cycle still exists, even whilst being on testosterone. It just looks different because I'm still moody at the time of the month. I still feel my cramps coming two days before the 17th. So I kind of know like in journaling as well, and I started to re-journal because I was like, I want to know what my period and my cycle looks like now. And it goes back to that conversation of cycles exist whatever days of the month. And I think trans people just have their own kind of cycle. But it's never something I thought about. I just thought I'd start to, this would be over with and that would be the end of the story. But no, it's not, it's not how it works. And I've spoken about it on Instagram and so many trans men came back and said, oh my God, that happened to me. I thought something was wrong. I was like, nope, apparently we're fine. But how fearful you are in that moment where your body is going against you and you don't understand why and no one has the answers. And it's such a sensitive topic to you as well. For so many years, I was told women and girls only experience periods. And so creating a better narrative of myself as well as a part of that process. This is going to sound really strange, but yeah, it's just one of the things I focus on and really, really helped. Mm. So having conversations with my sister, she had like endometriosis mm. and bonding over our similar experiences. Like that was a really like sibling moment. And it made me feel like somewhat proud of having a period. So it was really weird. And also with my ex-partner, she had quite like, like I'm assuming most women do some shame around her period. And because I was so blasé around it, I was like, well, you know, it's a natural biological function. Who cares? Are you okay? Do you want to cuddle kind of thing? And just, just letting it be what it is. It was nice not to perpetuate period shame on her or any of the women that I had in my life and the non-binary people and trans people. And so I actually realised that although this is not the perfect situation, I wouldn't choose it for myself. There's silver linings. I love that. That's so good. And I hope that more people could be similar to you. And if everybody just spoke about periods in the like blasé way, it would make such a difference. I also think that connecting periods with women exclusively helps entrench the stigma, which mm. is something we want to get away from. I really think that period stigma exists because we've traditionally associated periods with women. Mm. And this is seen as like a women's issue and yeah. somehow women's issues are not societal issues. Cool. And that's why it's shied away from talking about like stuff under the rug. So if that association is severed, it will be so helpful for everyone. So yeah, I could not agree with that more. I think like yeah, more visibility is better. And yeah. it makes more stories, better. more narratives, more perspectives, more genders. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel people could then treat you when you're going through this? How do you mm. feel that you're best supported? Just like you would talk to a woman that's having a period, but maybe not the, the association of womanhood. Let's excuse that. Or anyone who's going through like a difficult time or worried um, about stuff. When I'm talking about now, kind of, I'm over the hurdle. Do you know what I mean? I'm over the hard part. But what I would needed back then was just people to just be like, well, Kenny, this is just what it happens. Like, sometimes you don't want to hear that in that moment because it's, it's so certain. Biology is so certain. It's really hard to confront in that sense. But just be like, yeah, do you need a pad? Is that, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be anything larger. Like, I openly talk about now, like with my friends saying that I have cramps. And my friends are so used to it. But when I say it and like a stranger's in the room, everyone goes, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. I, I make sense of it and they go, oh, okay, cool. Like I never thought about that. I think as well, a lot of it is, it needs to come from you, the comfort needs to come from you. And most of it is to do with the narrative that you've learned from society that women and girls are the only people that experience periods. And shredding that is literally, if not the only thing, it is the most important thing that you need to do to get to a space in which you can have peace with your period, end of story. Okay, so I'm afraid the time has come and we have to go. And I have a final question for you before we do. So what have you learned from this conversation? What comes next? 
The biggest thing I've learned, I think, is just listening to other people. And I mean, I thought I knew a lot about periods, but listening to you, I've learned so much. And I think you're right. It's just seeing that human experience and listening to your story come like so authentically has just made me, yeah, think a lot more about periods and a lot more depth. And I think we're going to take that forward to the period workshops that we do in schools, just helping kids listen to each other and see their differences being totally normal. So yeah, I think that's awesome. for me. Plus the Kenny campaign coming. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> what about you? What takeaway have you got? I think the way that you spoke about period poverty has just like sparked something in me that feels like I, I want to go home and educate myself first of all, because I feel like I've missed the mark a little bit because my understanding of period poverty was, I feel like it was a bit more basic, which I feel like most people probably have that same perspective. And so I want to widen my knowledge on that. Nice, especially as you were saying, there's not much research yeah. in trans experiences. So the more you talk about it, the more other people can learn. Maybe that's what I need to do next. Yeah. <laughs>